talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Happy New Year. This is Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Drew Gillis. This is our first pod of the new year. First pod of 2024. First time we're sitting down to do a pod, and a lot's happened in this new year. It's a, it's a, already a jam-packed year in terms of Ohio State perspective on things. We're going to talk Michigan-Washington playing for the national championship next Monday, which I, in six months, those are both going to be Big Ten teams, so that's interesting from the Ohio State perspective. Of course, their rival playing in it, but also a lot of newsy things have happened, Nathan, in the Ohio State sphere over the past couple of days since people last heard our voice. Let's start with the NFL stuff first. Michael Hall Jr. coming out, I think, within 24 hours of Ohio State losing that game to Missouri in the Cotton Bowl and saying, yo, I'm going pro. Any shocker there that he's the first one off the board? It was more like within 12 hours, really. It was, uh, <laughs> I had just woken up. I think I had set an alarm for 9.30 that morning because I had to be, thought I had to be downstairs for the free breakfast by 10.30. Important, important mm. things that we schedule our lives around. And I think by 10, I think he had put out his, his social media announcement that he was turning pro. No, not a shock of all the people who we were not, who we had not received like a definitive answer about. He was the one that seemed like it might've been the most foregone conclusion that he was, he had already decided to leave. And I think there's some life circumstances that play into that for him. Um, We've talked before about that being, it's not always just a football decision. And if you're getting a favorable enough grade that you think you're going to get drafted and be able to stick and you have reason to go, then it makes, it makes sense to go. And I think he's someone who, uh, has made a bigger impact in games than his statistics would suggest, uh, especially this season. 2022, there was more statistical evidence of it, and it came in those two and a half sacks and eight snaps at Michigan State and the, the big plays he made against Notre Dame and some uh, some other flashier moments. I don't feel like the flashier moments were there in terms of actually taking people down as often in 2023, but if you watch games, you can see where he factors into that whole defensive line dynamic that was impressive this year. So, Andrew, 717 career snaps for the Streetsboro Ohio native. Michael Hall, 45 total tackles, 10 tackles for loss, six sacks. Seven and a half of those tackles for loss and four and a half of those sacks came in 2022, even though he was dealing with some injuries. So he was in and out of the lineup at times. Plus, he had a fumble recovery in his career. What is Ohio State losing in Michael Hall, the interior guy who has played both three tech and nose for Ohio State the last couple of years. Yeah, well, I mean, you've seen the ceiling for for kind of what he can bring, right? Like Tyleek Williams and, and Mike Hall made a really, really nice pairing up the middle. And I think you saw kind of what he could be at his peak. And I think that that's kind of what you're losing, right? You're losing a guy that can rush the passer and defend the run. Um, you know, getting getting a pass rush up the middle is really big. You know, Jim Knowles talked about you know, the, the various things that those two defensive linemen and three, really kind of three defensive linemen did this year, defending the pass, you know, getting past deflections, making tackles in the backfield. Like when you have defensive linemen that do that, that's a really big deal. So, yeah, I mean, you, you look at kind of where you're at with the defensive line. You only bring in one recruit in this class that's going to play on the interior and in Eric Mensa. Um, so you're, you're, you are kind of, when you look at the numbers perspective, you know, you're losing a really good player. And you're not exactly supplementing that with an incoming freshman who you can say, oh, well, 
there we go. You know, there's, there's kind of room to be, or I, I should say that there's room to improve and there's kind of work to be done here when you look at kind of where Ohio State goes numbers-wise at the defensive tackle position. I don't know if I'm shocked at how quickly it did. It's just, I'm just thinking, Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. has not actually come out and said he's going to the NFL yet. Now, your decision to opt out of a bowl game says you are, yeah. <laughs> but it's just interesting. The yeah, fact that he has yeah. actually come out and like publicly i mean they know everybody knows he's going to the going pro it's just interesting that he has not actually done the little graphic thing for social media yet so that's outgoing that's the latest and outgoing people for ohio state so far michael hall jr the first of those third year guys who publicly announced his decision to go pro we're just going to throw marvin harrison jr in that as well well, we're still waiting to hear on you know multiple other defensive linemen from right. this group, obviously, Tyleek Williams, Ty Hamilton, and, and the, the ends too. But if you're limiting this to just tackles, I think if, if the other two come back, the impact here could be minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, not minimal. Minimal is not the right word because I think Mike yep. Hall is a very, very good player. But I, I think it's something that they can absorb just because – um, you saw Hero Canoe start to make some advances last season. You saw Cade McDonald make some advances last season. We don't really know where Tywin Malone is right now, but he's certainly a guy with some upside who is there in the mix. You can see there where if 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 both Hamilton and Williams come back, you're still potentially going four or five pretty deep there. And you've still got two guys up front who you know you can count on as starters. Um, and then, obviously, if the ends come back, now it's sky's the limit, really, with what that group can do. That can be maybe the best defensive line in the country. Maybe. I would have definitely said that if, Hill, if Hall had also come back. If you got all those guys back, you're looking at just an absolute wrecking crew. Um, with Hall not back, it's not as much certainty with the other guys who are filling in behind him, but they're, they're still upside with those guys, too. This is still... If if it ends up being the only early entry that they lose beyond Marvin Harrison Jr., which I think is still is, is on the table as possible, mm-hmm. then this defense is going to still be excellent. And it's if you came out of the Cotton Bowl not with a, I mean, yes, you should come out of the Cotton Bowl frustrated by any number of things. But if you also didn't come out thinking, look at what this defense could be in twenty twenty four. What if Lathan Ransom also comes back? What if uh, they figure out the right mix at linebacker instead of it being like this very speculative thing right now? I mean, there's there are ways that the that next year's defense is better than this year's defense. It does seem like the defensive tackle spot is almost set up to if they only lose one person, it's fine. It's fine. That's just the natural progression of things. While maybe it's just because where your depth is at the defensive end spot. Yes, Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry are still on this roster, but you if you have four of those guys instead of three, that's a very different equation in that situation. Andrew, we're going to let you talk about this next guy up on our list of, of to-do. Hey, here's what happened since the last time you heard our voices. Since you and him share a school together, Ohio State added a tight end, Will Kazmarek, through the transfer portal. Just tell us about Will and what he brings to the Buckeyes. Very, very excited to see Ohio Bobcat transfer like normally it goes the other way right like normally um uh what's the receiver's name they had a um wiggles. Uh, sam Ooh, wiggles. that's what it is it's the trade sam, it was they traded sam they, wiggles sam for a transfer to be named later and here's the transfer. exactly um yeah you know i i think so first off yeah so shout out shout out bobcats um it is interesting like but and i understand that this is going to sound hilarious because it's me talking and Nathan and Steven have made multiple remarks of, in the past about how I need to stop talking about Ohio so much. But it is interesting to see it go the other way. 
And I do think, I, I think a lot of people look at that and they say, wait a minute, Ohio lost a transfer to Ohio State? Not Ohio State to Ohio. And I think a lot of people got confused by that. But when you look at Kaczmarek, like to me, that signals blocking tight end. And, and that's a guy who you need to come in and show up and be like, all right, when when he's in the game, we're not going to lose anything blocking because for as much as Cade Stover did in the receiving game and for as much as Cade Stover was, you know, really talented and kind of being that kind of safety blanket for Kyle McCord all season long, the blocking left a little bit to be desired. And you're not getting a ton of receiving from from um, Kasmerick. Like at Ohio, Ohio doesn't really run like a kind of field stretcher tight end type role this it's much more of a blocking tight end they're a running offense it's much more of a blocking kind of guy um you know and uh, you look at his numbers 42 pass he caught 42 passes for 507 yards and two touchdowns over the last two years that's not exactly like screaming just receiving tight end but this is a guy that can come in and block and I think that that's kind of what I saw when um when I saw that they brought him in is that this is a guy who, when he shows up, you're going to put him on the field and you're not going to be concerned about blocking ability at the end of the line of scrimmage. So that's where that is to me. I think you can look at Ohio state's depth chart at tight end, G Scott, Jelani Thurman, you know, you you can look and see, okay, we, we feel good about this. We feel good about that. But the blocking is where you're probably a little bit concerned, and I think that this is where the Ohio State tried to fix that. Nathan, we always tell people take these PFF grades with a grain of salt, but the season ones are typically pretty spot on with what the eye test is. His run blocking grade this past year at Ohio, 67.2, which would be a significant upgrade from what Kate Stover was this past year at a 56.9. And we've always talked about these tight ends at times. Is he Luke Farrell or is he Jeremy Rucker? Right. One was more of a receiving guy. One was more of a blocking guy. Now they could do the other thing as well, but their base level talent was one was a really good blocker. One was a really good receiver. And if you've got Jelani Thurman, who you think might be the next receiving threat at tight end, you've got D Scott, who you took from the wide receiver room, a guy like Kazmarek, just in general, that description for a room who probably needed to add a body just in terms of at the top. They actually have a lot of depth in the top tight end room but they need a top end guys he seems like a perfect fit for a team who likes to do 12 and 13 personnel yeah i think that is where ohio state probably looked into the future and saw where are we going to be with multiple tight end sets and especially if there is any if you encounter any kind of an injury problem is the third guy on our list right now someone that we trust in games next year and i think that's probably where they were getting to a some fuzzy answers so i, I you know the the Farrell Rucker question, I think, is is important because we have long clamored for Ohio State to have a real receiving threat as a tight end, and I think that is still a really useful weapon. However, I think it has to be paired with someone like Farrell. And the great thing about the Farrells of the world is that they are known first and foremost for their blocking at tight end however when you throw them the ball it still looks very natural it still looks like they belong there it still looks like they know what they're doing I think that is an important key uh, that this is not really an offense that is going to be ever based on getting the ball to a tight end like 60 times a year or whatever like you're, you're not going to have that productive of a tight end I don't at least in a Ryan Day offense I just don't see that really but you have to have that person as a blocker um, to to facilitate what they want to do in the ground game with this program, 
But then also out, out of that, they have to then look still like very natural. Like, like Farrell is something that they've missed. They missed it immediately after he left, I thought, um, with that 2021 season where you had Ruckert still there, but it, they're trying to find a second option. And Cade Stover really wasn't ready to, to be that quite yet. And then when State Stover now then um, elevated into being like the primary receiving threat there, and you would say he was probably the number three receiving threat in this offense, at least this past year for sure. Um, I don't think they really got that like hammering guy um, as the second tight end. And I'm not trying to to besmirch G. Scott or anybody else or Joe Royer when he was part of that mix, but it, it just it, it's a different kind of athlete. And I think they have to have the right pairing of athletes there. They've tried to do it the last couple of years with from the walk-on level, whether that was Mitch Rossi, whether that was uh, Patrick Gerd, and they're getting good minutes out of those guys for what they probably expected at the start of the year. Good snaps, good good contributions at the start of their careers anyway. But if you can get a scholarship guy who can take you back towards that, that feral mold, I think they had to do it. And this is one of the positions that we pinpointed before everything um, as to who, what position should Ohio state be looking at in the portal tight end was definitely, if it wasn't at the top, it wasn't at the top, but it was in the mix for the top, probably four or five positions. I think that we all sort of by consensus thought that they needed to add someone just because, you know, and I think we were even making, maybe having these discussions before Joe Royer went in the portal. So there you already lose one veteran contributor. You've got Sam Hart behind him. Barely any contributions so far at this point in his career. Bennett Christian coming off a of suspension. You have no idea what that is. And frankly, we don't know yet what Jelani Thurman will be in his second season. It's such a developmental position, especially the way Ohio State decides to prioritize things and use it. And, you know, it, I thought it was a good sign that he was on the field for the first two snaps of the Cotton Bowl. I don't think it was a good sign that he was not on the field the rest of the game. So, you know, where, where are you going with that? Where, where exactly does he stand is, do they see him as a guy? And we'll know more this spring. Um, once, once, op- once things really open up, but um, where is he at right now? And do you think he could be one of your top two tight ends or did you need to bring someone else in because he's still a year away from being as productive as you want him to be? Yeah, obviously Devin Brown not getting a, a, a good look at what he is was the primary thing that was lost when he went down with that injury. But I do think that whatever they were going to do with Jelani Thurman in the cotton bowl probably went down the drain when Devin Brown went out the game, because I think Kate probably. Stover probably played a lot more than they were expecting. Cause at that point it's like, dude, we just need to block cause our offensive line is not getting the job done. And so we just need bodies. And maybe to your point, Nathan, physically he wasn't there yet, which is crazy to say, because he looks like a freak, but maybe he wasn't there yet. But there were probably some things in the receiving game they were prepared to do with Jelani Thurman. So if I had to make a list of people outside of Devin Brown, most impacted by Devin Brown's injury, I think he would be in my top five, just offensively and what they wanted to do in that situation. But speaking of receiving threats, Nathan, I mean, when you recruit a wide receiver room the way Brian Hartline does, attrition every so often is probably expected. But two true freshmen – and Noah Rogers and Bryson Rogers, both from the 2023 recruiting class. Noah Rogers was a number 53 player and number eight wide receiver in that class. And Bryson Rogers, a number 357 player, number 45 receiver in that class. Noah Rogers from North Carolina, 
Bryson Rogers from Florida, but with huge, significant ties to Northeast Ohio. Any shock to see them go out the door so early? Yeah, I actually genuinely think shock is the right word. Um, it's been sort of a shocking, more more shock this year in the transfer portal departures for Ohio State than we usually get. Maybe maybe the first shocks. I mean, um, Kyle McCord was a, a stunner, even with the context we had coming out of that mm-hmm. press conference. The fact that he went in uh, so early and so definitively, and then and then these. And and when Bryson Rogers went in the portal, I, I kind of I felt like my like you know how you like you make a, you play a weird sound for puppy and they kind of turn their head. I think I kind of did that. It was like mm-hmm. what what is that? What's this? And because I was in the, the Dallas suburbs a few days before that, listening to Brian Hartline talk about and and Brian Hartline wasn't asked about Bryson Rogers. He brought Bryson Rogers up like mm-hmm. out of out of thin air to be like, hey, you guys need to know him and Brandon Ennis are both really, you know, doing some good things in, in the bowl practices or, or have come a long way over the course of the season. Mecca Buka was then specifically asked about Bryson Rogers and then repeated many of the things he brought up in the past about why he thinks he's destined for, for really good things and has been impressed with him. And then, you know, we're barely back home and uh, ball hasn't dropped on new year's and, and he's in the portal. And when that happened, I was kind of like, this is, I don't I, I, all right. I mean, I guess if you're looking at next year, if Abuka does come back, and if you think that Ennis has an edge on you, no matter whether you think those guys could also both get some time outside, maybe that leads you to think you're third at the slot, which only mm. leads you to being second at the slot two more years. And you know what I mean? Like, does does Abuka coming back have some repercussions in that room? The same way the lobby coming back had repercussions in the room with, with Jameson Williams. Like, that I think that's a fair thing. So that one I kind of chalked up to like maybe that's just a, a byproduct of having one of the best receivers in the country unexpectedly come back for a fourth season, which actually hasn't even happened yet, but we think it might. And then but then when Noah Rogers went in the portal, that was the one where I was like, okay, that one seemed just like a bit of a rash decision to me. And I haven't talked to anybody around him, but he is really talented. He came in and and did some things in the spring that had people noticing him. Like pretty much right away, I thought that he was someone who put himself on the radar as like, hey, don't forget about this guy. Like, I know you guys all like Carnell Tate, but no Rogers here, too. And he obviously didn't play at all this year. And I know that the, the and we can have this discussion because I know that the, now the narrative has become like, well, of course, these guys are leaving. They don't play as true freshmen. Like, well, neither did Marvin Harrison Jr. Neither did Jackson Smith and Jigba. Neither did Emeka Buka. Mm-hmm. Like these guys were stapled to the bench as true freshmen. Like they didn't play mm-hmm. a ton of snaps either. Like now, because of the dynamic in the room, they a couple of those guys got bigger opportunities in the bowl game of their freshman year. Yes, I understand. I don't care how many snaps you gave Bryson Rogers and, and No Rogers on last Friday. The ball wasn't getting to them. It wasn't getting to any receivers in that mm-hmm. game. So it's not like I don't think that should have been any sort of uh, thrust into the portal for those guys. It just seems like the, the upside is so high for receivers in this at Ohio State if you have the patience. Why you would potentially transfer somewhere else this early in your career, I mean, you're always, I mean, look at what Emeka Buka did last year solely as a result of Jackson Smith the Jigba getting hurt, essentially. Like, like, he might not have had that kind of thousand-yard season. He might have been a lot more of a niche player, but because Jackson Smith Jigba was taken out of the equation pretty much all year, now he steps up and becomes a star. And you're always one turned ankle, one pulled hammy away from now you're the dude. And I don't understand why 
you wouldn't go into next year. And yes, I know that Jeremiah Smith and Mylon Graham both coming in five stars, whatever. I just read you a list of five star guys who didn't play here as true freshmen. Jane Ballard was a, a highly ranked guy as a four star, not getting on the field really in any substantial way now going on three years and still looking for his moment. Like it, so the complicating factor here is when it's guys from out of state, right? When it's guys from a few hours away and you don't play at all as a freshman and now add in the whole situation where maybe there's a collective that can dangle something at you. And I don't know if that happened here, but that is a factor in general. Then I think we're going to see more of this probably. I think we're, it, it's always been a thing that if you come in as a true freshman from out of state and you don't play a lick, we've seen guys make that jump. Even before the portal era, we've seen guys make that jump. And now that there is that extra factor involved, I think we're probably going to see more things like this in the future. So Noah Rogers, as I mentioned, from North Carolina, he's already got a crystal ball sending him to North Carolina State, which going back to his recruiting days, North Carolina State kept poking at him. Even after he committed to Ohio State, they poked at that up until signing day. So I am just wondering, I, I, this is, I don't know anything either. I, like, I didn't talk to Noah Rogers anybody in him, but that kind of makes it seem like he maybe was just homesick and wants to go home. I think he's got family that plays at North Carolina State, if I'm remembering correctly. So that might just be that. The Bryson Rogers one was interesting to me because I remember talking with him during his recruitment, him understanding that this was going to be a, the long game, that it wasn't the expectation that in year two he'd get on the field. Maybe it would take two or three. He was more on the Jaden Ballard plan than he was on the Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Abuka plan where in year two, let's go. It's maybe more year three, year four. Let's see where we get, get there. But I do wonder, Nathan, because you brought up how Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Mecca Abuka, Julian Fleming. Julian Fleming only played in 2020 because Chris Olave got COVID. So he had yeah. to play. He yeah. had to go to somebody in that Big Ten championship game. So those guys didn't play as true freshmen. But also, it seemed like a more smooth path to what would be next in year two because the guys they were yeah. sitting behind in most of those situations weren't going to be there. Now, Jackson had to push. Jackson, along with Chris Olave coming back, pushed Jamison Williams out the door. But with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Macabuka, you could look at the path and go, oh, Chris and Garrett are aren't going to be here. So you just take their spots in this lineup and you go from there. I don't, with Carnell Tate and Brandon Dennis, it seemed that simple coming into this year where it's like, okay, well, Marvin and Emeka aren't going to be here. So they're just going to replace Marvin and Emeka. And in that third spot, let's see what happens. But I do think that one Emeka Buka coming back probably throws off the math for some of these guys, just like it did with JMO, as you just mentioned. But also I think the fact that there's four guys Two of them have already clearly claimed some level of a role. I think it's probably fair right now to assume that Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis will probably be amongst the top four or five next year. And both of those guys will get meaningful snaps. Jeremiah Smith is probably in that conversation, too, of that top five. So if you're looking at that and going, okay, there's already maybe four guys ahead of me. Two of them are the same age as me, and one of them is younger than me. Plus, there's another five-star who's not getting here till June, so I don't know how much Mylon Graham's going to play as a true freshman anyway, but I don't think that math quite adds up the same way where it's worth sticking around for another year when there might be another place who you can get on the field right now and do what maybe Jamison Williams did. But also, I'll push back on even that point because we've seen other guys leave this room like Caleb Brown and Caleb Burden, and they were not Jamison Williams at their next spots. To be frank, Mookie Cooper, those guys were not Jamison. Jamison Williams is the outlier so far in the top tier guys who end up transferring out of Ohio State's wide receiver room. Yeah, and just to kind of extend on that, you're right that you can look at next year and say that if you're 
talking about a top five receiver rotation that these two guys leaving doesn't change it. That it's still going to mm-hmm. be, it could be Abuka, Ballard, Tate, Ennis, Smith to, to start the year. Because I think you're right. Graham not getting here till the summer. I wouldn't expect him to, to be a part of that. But that, that's still five. And then on top of that, perhaps in 2025, only one of those guys still leaves. Ballard, I think, still mm-hmm. has two years that he can use. So yep. you might still be looking at, okay, well, I can try to rise up to fifth. Like, I, I get it. But at the same time, and, and I guess the complicating factor there, too, is as much as we always get in these situations and talk about, well, look at that group of five. Like, that's you could really see them, like, expand the rotation, right? Like, maybe they'll... That never yeah. happens. That hasn't <laughs> happened in, since, they, since they started getting guy. What, the, what usually happens is they'll talk about that. And, yes, it makes sense on paper. Um, <laughs> it, makes, it makes perfect sense on paper. And then people start playing football games, and then it's just the three best guys play all the snaps. So... I I still think it's short-sighted because an injury could happen at any time. Emeka Ibuka just had an injury issue this year. We don't know how durable Jaden Ballard is. He's never had to prove it in the game. I'm not trying to put anything on anybody. Uh, you could put player X there and, and talk about from program Y. I'm just saying that it it just seems to me that it it's 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 a little short-sighted. That and and it doesn't affect Ohio State probably at the end of the day. They didn't lose anything to bring them in as prospects, and they aren't necessarily losing anything production-wise to have them leave. It's just, it's just weird for me from an individual standpoint that you've seen guys come in and not play as freshmen and not really even be guaranteed anything for that second year. Abuka was not guaranteed anything for that second year. We were talking about, oh, it's going to be some kind of a timeshare with Julian Fleming, right? And just circumstances developed. The only reason Ibuka started on opening night was because Fleming also was hurt again. Mm-hmm. But again, that's further example of the opportunity that's there. I just, uh, I mean, uh, you know, more power to him. And when you start talking about, you know, being closer to home and all those things, his brother is a, his brother plays football at North Carolina or has been a walk on at North Carolina. Like you know, it's, his family is there. Like I get it. I just, you, it seems like, a a disconnect between the mindset you probably had to have when you showed up at a room this talented and the mindset you have after a year, but you've had a full year. I mean, you've had literally a full calendar year to take this all in and decide whether it's the right fit or you for you or not. So I'm going to pull back on my criticism a little bit just because it, it, it's a life decision. If I, if you've got friends and family back home and you think I can play right away and be closer to them, it's not like North Carolina State, if that's where he ends up, is some kind of a garbage program. So um, we'll see. I, I wrote a piece for the site, actually, that went more into how this is. It, it doesn't really affect Ohio State negatively. It sort of emphasizes some some negative aspects of the program, though, that have really nothing to do with the receiver room. Yeah. I, just to wrap that up, and then, Andrew, I want to bring you in those, this as well. This seems like a decision you would make after the spring. Like maybe you take your shot. See where you which happened last year, fall. which happened last yeah, year, which Burton and yeah. Brown both left in April. And I got it. Yeah. I understood that. Yeah. Because then you have real clarity. It's like, yo, at least try. Take your shot and then let's see what happens. But I guess it is what it is. Andrew, we've seen this before, though. In 2020, they had four guys come in and two guys ended up panning out and having careers here with Jackson and Julian Fleming. G. Scott's a tight end now and Mookie Cooper. Well, they played him <laughs> in the Cotton Bowl on Friday. So basically. You added four guys, two guys ended up making something out of the careers, and two guys left the room. 
And it seems like that's the same progression they're on in this class. But also with the 2022 class, if you think about it, they had four in that class. Two guys have already left. And then two guys are sticking around. They haven't necessarily made an, made an impact. But Kojo Antwi and Keon Gray are still here. As you're di- diving into this recruiting aspect of that, is that just the expectation we should have when Ohio State goes out and gets wide receivers? Is that if you get three or four of those guys, two of those guys probably aren't going to make it to the end of their careers at Ohio State? I think yes, but I also think that it's more than just a receiver thing. I think like, you know, you can highlight all of the players that Ohio State signed in the 2024 class, right? Like Ohio State signed um, pen to paper 20 players. You have 20 players in that class. Not all of them are going to make it to the end of their Ohio State careers. Sorry to break the news to people, but people are going to leave and people people might leave at this time next year. There might be players from that class that are in the portal this time next year. This just happened. So I think it's a, a something you can look at as more than just a receiver thing. This is just kind of where college football is, where guys don't have to sit out a year now. And the I think you could look at it as, you know what? You know, and and I'm not saying you guys were, but I think you could look at it as, ah, guys don't want to compete. Guys are scared to compete now. Guys just want everything handed to them. You could say that, and I'm sure that there are players out there that that applies to, but it's also just sometimes you can can almost try something, like Steven was saying. You could try something and then see how it goes. Just be like, you know what? I'm going to go here, and I always have a fallback option that isn't going to hurt me. I can get a year of development at Ohio State or two years of development at Ohio State. And then if I have to go play at NC State, if I have to go play at Wake Forest or whatever it is, then I can do that. Um, I'm curious what this does moving forward to what Ohio State does at receiver. Because if I have this right, assuming Emeka comes back, and that might be a big assumption, it might be, I don't know. Jaden Ballard, Emeka Ibuka, Keon Graves, Kojo Antwi, Brandon Ennis, Carnell Tate. That's six. That's six guys with college experience on the receiver depth chart right now. And then you're bringing in two freshmen. And I understand one of those freshmen, both of them are five-star, and one of them is the number one player in the country who, like, apparently every time he walks in a room, there's superman theme music. I I get it. Like, that guy might just be different. And that guy might just be, like, the, the best whatever. I understand that. And he might start. Not discounting that. I just... I think that might be a little low numbers wise. You know, I think that might be a little bit of a of a situation where you could look at and say, man, is six guys with college experience what we want going into this year? Is is that where you want to be at with two freshmen, eight total on scholarship? I, I don't I don't know if that's where you want to be. So I, I'm curious what this is. And, you know, Steven and I have talked about this a lot on our recruiting pods. Like, when does Ohio State's recruiting at receiver become a negative not saying that you know oh they should stop recruiting so well I'm just saying that this is one of maybe the drawbacks is that you might lose some guys and then you might have to go double dip in a portal situation if you want to bring in some depth I'm, I'm just curious to see if they think that that is enough to get through a season Brian Hartline he's one of the few coaches on the staff who has not had to dip into the portal yet yeah, I remember they broke down what they want at every single position to get to their 85. I think he said 11 wide receivers. They're three under in that situation. But also, I mean, Nathan, you're looking – if they're going to dip into the portal for a wide receiver, you're looking for a dude who's just coming here to, like, get an education and 
basically do what Tristan Jebbia did as a quarterback and move on with his career because I just you're not cracking the top five, the top five spot in a wide receiver room that recruits this way. Yeah, so in um, Dallas for the Cotton Bowl, Hartline was asked about the fact that he's never brought any transfers. And I'm trying to get to the crux of the of the quote. Um, that being said, we are very prideful in the mindset of selecting guys out of high school and then allowing them to select us. So it's a two-way road. As much as we want them to come here, they also have to pick us. So that's been good. But those guys that are playing on Saturdays and in bowl games are the guys we have recruited. Nothing against transfer world. There's lots of reasons to do it and have it and use it. But we have not done that yet in the receiver room, which is a goal. The goal is to pick out the right high school young men that fit our mold. And we select them as they select us. And then you see those guys play on Saturdays. I think we're very prideful in the development we've had in our room. So clearly he's saying like, this is, they don't want to use the transfer portal in their receiver room. However, he said that on the same day, he was talking about how well Bryson Rogers had been playing. And uh, before he (laughs) found out that a third and fourth guy is transferring out of his room in the past eight months. And at some point, as Andrew's kind of getting at, it just becomes a a numbers game. Like you want to have you want to have enough receivers to have three levels of receiver in practices, and you've got to. It can't just be exactly the right number. You got to have some spare parts there, and they mm-hmm. have some, you know, from walk ons and stuff. And some of them are guys that they've liked in the past, like Reese Stocksdale and and uh, other guys who've come through. But I wouldn't be shocked. And maybe it wouldn't happen until the spring. Maybe you get to the spring, see where things stand, and then you could always encounter an injury or something along the way that tells you, okay, no, we have to go get a, a another body. And it wouldn't shock me at all if this is the year that this is the cycle where that history gets broken, that they do finally end up taking a receiver. But not really necessarily so much because they I, – I think any program – Every program in the country could probably look at positions on their roster because of the exitings that happened to the transfer portal and say, okay, well, we'll just need to make a correction to keep our depth right, to keep our numbers right. Adding to the bottom of the portal, uh, to the bottom of your room through the portal, I think says nothing almost. It's just just filling out the the positions. I think where Ohio State has problems is, uh, and, and where Heartline has not gone anywhere near this. And I don't see the foreseeable future doesn't foretell this. Cause I, as I just explained in the previous thing we were talking about, they could have a, a pretty stocked receiver room with all the same guys they have this year, still in 2025. So it, it's more the positions where they've had to go find guys to be at the top of their room. That's uh-huh. where the, the problems are on this roster. And it all dates back to recruiting. So it's, it's that these conversations that we've had on signing day, the last two years about how good is this class really? And this is another example of it. Like the Noah Rogerses of the world prop up these recruiting class rankings at the same time that the offensive line is getting nobody of that caliber, that, you know, safeties of that caliber are going to other schools. Linebacker has gotten iffy in the last couple of years. And lo and behold, like here we are wondering how all those positions are going to look for the next two years because of what hasn't been going on in recruiting. So uh, Heartline, I think it's, it's at some point, I think, that streak was destined to end, but it'll end in this way that they'll say, you know what? All right. We really do need a ninth guy, an eighth scholarship guy 
that can help us supplement this room and be in the mix. The, the, go go get the go get a go get the Vic Cutler of receivers or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, and I, I think Brian if Hart I could add in real quick, a receiver position that he has to go get a non consequential transfer for the sake of numbers. Now, granted, I'll, I'll, let me add this real quick, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. They missed out on Jeremiah McClellan, who flipped to Oregon, yeah. who's now going to be in the Big Ten. But that only matters that much more from a number standpoint than it does from a top of the room standpoint, because at least that would give you nine and not eight heading into the spring. Well, and, and, with one not getting here until June. Obviously. Right. When you look at portal acquisitions, think of it a little bit like you talk about maybe the NFL draft where there's positional value. Well, there's kind of portal value here. Like you're not going to find a starting left tackle in the portal on May 1st. Or whenever the portal. I think that's in the portal. They did last year. Yes. Did they? True. Did they get a starter? No, I understand. No, I understand what you're saying. He was a starter. Somebody had to start at left tackle. Change your word. You're not going to find. You didn't find an elite left tackle. They did find a starting caliber left tackle. Yes. Okay. Well. Ah, well, another kind. I understand the point uh, you're making. Yeah, I understand the point. Yeah, you can find if you. You're making think, my point by making your point. Yes. Go ahead. And, and I think you can look at the depth chart and say, like, all right, you know what? We're gonna run these guys out there, and then we're just gonna see what we need. Maybe you need a six. Maybe you look at the depth chart and you're like, you know what? We we might need a guy to fill in the back half of this this two deep. We might need a six, and you can figure that out throughout the spring. Maybe you can figure that out as you go through recruiting. Maybe the twenty five class you load up on, and you're just going to add some numbers there. I, however, you want to do it. I, I I don't know. I think you could. I think you could make it work, like Stephen saying through the spring, and then you get to the end of April, and you say, "All right, where are we at? What do we need? Do we need a nine? Do we need a 10? Like, do, how far do we want to go? And I, I think that that could be kind of where you go from there. Just another thing to keep in mind with that, though, like, we don't know where Emeka Buka is at physically right now. He was obviously physically good enough to play. He was physically good enough to play at the end of last season as well, but then had surgery and missed the spring. Yeah. So he's coming oh. off of surgery. He, he did say that um, last week. And I don't know if there's going to be any sort of a pullback process for him if it'll affect his spring at all but if that is also true then maybe that would increase the urgency to, to find another person especially because Mylon Graham doesn't get here until the summer but I also think that it's if you're talking about getting someone for depth uh, I think you're probably fine rolling with more or less what you have and then if if there, if there isn't somebody out there that's just like screaming at you right now and seeing where you are at. I think even if he was 100% healthy, his spring might be limited just for the sake of like, it would be like the Marvin way where it's like, oh, he did like three periods. And now he's standing on the sideline hanging out just because he's Except an people older guy. make a big deal about it when he's punt returning. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Let's not do that again. <laughs> so, yeah, they probably do just for this because now you're talking. They've got eight in 2024. One's not getting here until June. And the other one probably isn't doing much. So now you're down to six guys scholarship guys for spring practice just for the sake now it's six guys that you who might play for you so it's probably beneficial for carnell and brandon and you know jeremiah smith and and Jaden bauer to get those snaps and whatnot but still it's from a number standpoint it's probably right i think the 25 class probably needs a mixture of like top end guys plus some guys who are maybe more developmental just for the sake of the room Last transfer thing we want to get into. We're going long, but that's because a lot's happened in the 96 hours since the last time you heard us. Uh, Jada McKenzie went into the transfer portal as well. We don't have to go long on that one. That's the guy who has a six-year 
because he got here in 2019 and he probably has graduated and just probably, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt what's going on in the defensive tackle room just because of some of the other guys they've gotten in there. But they did lose their punter, Nathan, Jesse Mirko. Uh, I mean, what are we supposed to make of that? And where does Ohio, what's, what's Ohio State's punting situation as it heads into the spring after losing the guy who's been their starter the last three years? So I wasn't shocked by this. I had an inclination something might be amiss. I went, you know, uh, Jesse Mirko was in the post game. We only got like five players post game. Um, actually, that's not true. I think we got more like seven if you count the two that ran with Ryan Day. Keen Holtz and Sawyer ran with Ryan Day. We had five players that were in this room just doing like breakout interviews. And he was one of them. And as he was walking out of the room, I walked with him and I said, hey, are you for sure back next season? And he said, yes, I have another year of eligibility. And I was like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I just wanted to make sure. And then he just walked on his way. Uh, I did not do the Australian accent there. And as I'm in the plane, on the plane the next night watching, I was on this movie Prisoners. You guys familiar with this movie from like 2013? Jake Gyllenhaal, Hugh Jackman. It's weird. I think it was good. It was it's a little bit out there, like a serial I think killer. It was like, good. Yeah, it was. I, I might want to see it again someday. Well, it just it went some places I was not expecting. But it's interesting cast. Anyway, I'm up in the air just watching this movie and drinking my you know ginger ale, eating my snack mix, and he goes in the portal. So um, it didn't shock me, especially if you start thinking about if sometimes when position coaches leave, players also leave, and that may be a factor here. I don't know. Um, like I said. He wouldn't talk. He didn't talk to me more than just to say he had another year of eligibility. He's also, you know, he's talked before about the difficulty of, you know, being from Australia and the, the time differences and um, mm-hmm. and things like that. So maybe going west helps alleviate some of that for him. Be three hours close to home. I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating for him. I do know that I, I talked to someone who um, had talked to people close to him at the night of the game, like at the game. And there was no inclination based on how things were going that night that this news was coming. So um, whatever, they do have another Australian kicker on the roster. Someone who I don't know that we've ever actually said his name on this podcast before, but Joe McGuire, a a punter uh, that came out of that same program, uh, who I guess presumably moves up to the number one spot. And, you know, we'll see if this is another position that they look uh, from a portal standpoint, but I, this is why he is here um, was to succeed Mirko someday. And I don't know that Ohio state is completely caught off guard. Probably that, that Mirko would, would choose to leave. This was also um, a, in a year that was tough for, and I tried to ask him about this after the game. Um, I asked him about how special teams had, I asked the question wrong. I'll say this in, in, in a way we're going to, if we're going to criticize the team, I'm going to criticize myself. I asked the right question about a year where they had so much criticism about special teams, about the punt team, about how things were going. And then I, I, I ended it with something more like, did you feel like tonight answered any of that? I don't remember exactly how I worded it. And the problem is that that gives the person an out to ignore the part where you're asking about the criticism and only talk about how they had like their best game of the year. And that's what he chose to do with the question. So but that was a trip up by me. Um, but Mirko was, was not really maybe the target of the criticism. I mean, a lot of that fell on Parker Fleming, obviously. But uh, it didn't help. Like, the second year in a row where he had, like, kind of a, a, a weird gaffe of running a keeper that wasn't 
necessarily called in a weird time. And um, his punting wasn't you know exceptional, certainly not at the top of the Big Ten, um, a, a, a conference that sort of prides itself on punting. <laughs> not to make all your Iowa jokes right here, but there's usually good punters in this conference. So um, it didn't shock me. It didn't shock me when he went in the portal. And I don't think it's a thing that it shouldn't loom as like an issue for Ohio State going into next year. The, the the special teams issue that looms for Ohio State is just who's going to be in charge. What sort of change does Ryan Day decide to make? And how does he then decide to approach the the uh, organization of that room and the the oversight of that room? So as we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, no staff decisions have been made, at least publicly. We don't know that, so the staff is still intact. Obviously, there's a lot of things we're expecting to potentially happen, and if you're a fan, you're probably hoping will happen. But as of right now, they have not happened. But when they do, get the text, 614-350-3315. When that information breaks, it's going to your phone first. We're going to do. We're gonna write about it, plot about it, probably do some videos about it, but we're going to text about it first before we do anything else. Two-week free trial, $3.99 for that, 614-350-3315. That was long. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to talk. It's a Big Ten national championship game, and we're just going to give some quick reactions to what that means for Ohio State going forward, and we'll get more into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. And we're here on Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. So this is the Tuesday pod. The Wednesday pod is going to be a big feelings pod. Big feelings pod, you know, dr- driven by our texter, 614-350-3315. We're just going to let them vent. We're going to let them rant. We're just going to react to that stuff because, listen, it's it, you're, you're almost a week removed from Ohio State closing out its year with an 11-2 record for the third straight year, but they lost their bowl game, and their rival is playing for a national championship while it's sitting at home. And there's probably things you want to get off your chest about that. So that's the Wednesday pod. And then the Thursday and Friday pods this week, we're going to be projecting the roster by playing a game of do we think that the starter is on the roster right now in 2024? And that could be a guy who's a returning player. It could be a guy who's already been announced that they're transferring to Ohio State. Or it could be a 2024 signee. It could be any of those guys. And we're going to play a yes or no game with the offense and the defense. But to close this out, Nathan, uh, first and foremost, Monday night, we're watching Texas lose to Washington. And we're watching Michigan beat Alabama. So that's two 2024 Big Ten teams beating two 2024 SEC teams. For starters, was that the most entertaining playoff semifinals, like back-to-back semifinals of the four-team era? Yeah, maybe. I mean, last year was pretty great, too. I mean, last year goes down to a a field goal in the Georgia-Ohio State game. And um, did TCU-Michigan go to overtime last year, or did Michigan just come back and make it close? Michigan just came back and made it close. Yeah. TCU Um, kind of kept them at arm's length the whole way, yeah. Yeah. So that one, this this year probably, this year gets a boost over that. Even though that game ended up being closer, it wasn't exactly close throughout, um, which actually had its own level of entertainment, though, if you think about it, like TCU kind of being the upstart team that, um, although then it led to a terrible championship game. So uh, in every way, I guess this year gets an edge. Yeah, I think this is this is the best, you know, of all the, the consternation that we had over which four of the five teams needs to make it in. Uh, they got a pretty great combination of of two games. So uh, kudos to them for that. Uh, it was not. It's it's. It, I I really wonder how many Ohio State fans watched. 
any of that. Like it, uh, it has to be especially painful to to be watching Michigan win, to be seeing Quinn Ewers, you know, your former quarterback, a guy who could have been here and, and would would answer a lot of questions about the future of this room for next year if he was still here, uh, assuming he had beaten out Kyle McCord and stayed here. Uh, versus Michael Penix, a guy who was a you know had a good half against Ohio State, but was always always seemed like one of those kind of good Big Ten quarterbacks, and then now he's blossomed into I mean good big, big good Big Ten quarterbacks pejoratively, and then now has blossomed into a you know Heisman contender and and the great things he's done at Washington this year. Um, it's just. To, to watch that combination of things had would have been rough, I imagine, for some Ohio State fans. So I wouldn't blame them if they just took a pass and uh, did something else last night. Um, yeah, it, it, I think it emphasizes that uh, it should emphasize the fact that the fact that it's Michigan and Washington. It'd be one thing if it was just Michigan, because you, you're already thinking, well, Ohio State has to figure out how to fix this Michigan thing and find a way to beat Michigan. And by the way, Michigan's schedule is going to help them a lot next year. I don't know that Michigan's going to, uh, Michigan's got a tough road ahead of it next year. Um, even if JJ McCarthy comes back, the road ahead of it is tough with the schedule that it, it has next year. But to, to add Washington into it, I think reinforces exactly what's about to happen with the big 10. And uh, especially as it relates to the quarterback position, um, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago about how, you know, the, if you talk about like current Big Ten teams, Ohio State has been on a a tier above, like, you know, and Michigan just now is kind of starting to to pull up to that level. And now, though, when you add Washington and USC and UCLA and Oregon and the, the caliber of quarterbacks that they have had not on an annual basis for the last decade, but on a pretty consistent basis for the last decade, it it should be a big wake-up call about how this conference is about to change. And we have all said all along that Ohio State uh, needed, you know, it, it's good that a team like USC was coming in. You know, Gene Smith had the famous comment about someone coming in to kind of help carry the load, right, to, to of, of, of football in the conference. Well, that is a... That that hasn't aged well. That comment hasn't aged well because no. now Michigan has taken Ohio State's place at the top of the conference, and now you see what Washington's able to do with the head coach and Kalen DeBoer, who's established. You see what Oregon Oregon was right on the cusp of making the playoff. USC was the one that was kind of out of the picture, but you still know what they're always capable of doing from a talent acquisition standpoint. Uh, it's it's gonna get crowded pretty soon and if if the 12 team playoff weren't also happening it would be possibly like a a terrible juncture of, of things for Ohio State it does make 2024 even more crucial to me that Ohio State has to start showing some tangible progress in some important areas but some of those areas as I hinted at before some of those areas are really revolve around recruiting and those things won't be apparent until at the end of the season. And they don't, even if they had done better at them in 2024's signing class, would not necessarily be helping them win games this coming year. Andrew, is this obviously what Nathan was mapping out there? That's, that's, it's good for the Big Ten. 
clearly. There's two northern football schools competing for a national title, which is exactly the way the, the 14 college football playoff started in 2014, with two northern schools competing for a national title, one of which beating one of which beating the reigning national champion and the other one beating Alabama. This time around, you've got Washington and Michigan in 2014, it was Oregon and Ohio State. Is this good for Ohio State, though? that this is happening at this juncture with two teams who are going to be in the Big Ten next year, the way Michigan... Now, we don't... Obviously, there's a lot with Michigan that's up in the air going forward in the future of that program with Jim Harbaugh and everything else. But when you look at the way some of these teams play this year that are going to be joining the Big Ten and you mix that with what Ohio State looked like this year and what it may or may not look like next year is having two teams that are essentially Big Ten teams now in the national championship a good thing for Ohio State. I'm trying to decide if I would take issue with the phrase two northern teams. I'm aware of geography. Washington's not in the south. I was going to say, because like Washington I, and Michigan I'm, are I'm both aware. in the north. They're both above the Mason-Dixon yeah, line. Yeah, but so. I, I'm trying to like think like if Washington, if I would refer to Washington as more of like a Pacific school or like a West Coast school over a northern school. So Pacific North? Yeah. So Pacific North. I mean, the Pacific Northwest. Like, but I think there's a difference between saying a Pacific school and a northern school. If you get my, if you get what I'm saying, that's in the north. Well, yeah, but what's the? I don't understand. Like, is I don't know. That's neither here nor there. But I, so I looked up Michigan's schedule because we've talked about USC's schedule kind of being a disaster, and, and we can kind of go down the list. Like, Michigan's got to play USC, Texas, Washington, Oregon. Ohio State next year. Like these Big Ten schedules are big, so they're getting juiced up. So I don't know. I, I think it, I don't know if it's a good thing for Ohio State that, you know, you're going to have all of this happen because Ohio State's schedules are going to be really similar, right? And, and we've already talked about Ohio State's schedule a ton for 2024. Like these schedules are going to get really, really hard and they're going to get really, really difficult to manage. And I'm just, I'm curious to see how there's so much that's going to change starting next year. And I'm curious to see how it all changes with the 12 team playoff, because as we've alluded to one loss, isn't going to kill you anymore. Like Ohio state could have played this. See if the 12 team format was this year and Ohio state had played the schedule that it did Ohio state's comfortably in with the loss to Michigan. But even if they had lost to like Wisconsin, they're in the 12 team playoff. So I I just I look at this and see this is going to get really interesting in terms of how we evaluate teams, how we look at different programs, what we think of different programs. Um so I I I'm curious to see kind of how next year evolves and I think the number one thing for me, frankly, of of everything that we're going to talk about with kind of what this Big Ten championship game essentially, which it is, it's the Big Ten championship game. It's just a national championship game. Like, I'm curious if I'm curious what it means for Ohio State, because you look at the like the development of these two programs, like you, the 247 has a total team composite where you can look at the talent, five stars, four stars, three stars. It goes through. Michigan's 14th and Washington's 26th. Like they're they're teams that are not bringing in eight five stars a cycle, right? You know, th- these are teams that are developing their own players, doing what they do well, and making national championship games. Like, would anybody be stunned if Washington wins the national championship? You shouldn't be. That team's really good. 
Michael Penix is a quarterback sent from God. He throws one of the prettiest deep balls I've ever seen, and he's probably going to be Nathan a, sick. Given Michael Penix this much love, he's probably going to be a first round pick, Stephen. That man can sling it, and I, I, I just, I, I think that it, it kind of emphasizes the need to win on the margins and win the little things because Ohio State could wake up and if you're if you're at Ohio State, you wake up and you win eight games a year. You know, you have to, Steven told me this early in the year when I was just starting out on this beat, Ohio State's got to play like three or four games a year in the regular season. And, you know, the other games are just kind of filler games. That's not going to happen anymore. You're, you're going to have a lot more matchup games. So you've got to win development. You've got to win in strength and conditioning. You've got to win in little areas of the game, special teams. You've got to win in the coaching areas. You've got to win all these little areas now more and more. So I'm I'm curious how this evolves because God knows how it's going to change. It's going to change a lot. Nathan, do you think this is good for Ohio State? Do I think just the 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 Washington Michigan championship game is good for Ohio State? Oh, like the, yeah, this and then everything that's going to follow. The fact that these are two teams who are going to be in their conference and what. Now just the basically the floor, it feels like at least the, the floor of the conference might be rising. Maybe not the floor but just the level of competition is rising in the Big Ten very quickly, and this maybe this game is a small window into what that can look like. I don't know that I think it's good for Ohio State. I think it's maybe sort of neutral. Um, anything that's good for Michigan is bad for Ohio State, so that actually yeah, makes yeah. me sort of lean bad. Like the the fact that you know, because Michigan, even if it had been beating Ohio State, the knock had been okay, yeah, but then you get to the national stage and you look worse prepared for that than Ohio State is. And it sort of played into this dynamic of Ohio State was built as a the, the Michigan just had the the secret mix that Ohio State couldn't solve, but Ohio State was maybe even still the better program, the better team in in, in a given year. And now Michigan just went and beat Alabama uh, and now that's not true anymore. Now now Michigan has solved its bugaboo and is on the cusp of maybe winning a national championship. And this transformation that's happened over the last couple of years to, to, to be about to put a, and this isn't a completely fair comparison because whether you make the playoff or don't make the playoff changes what happens for you in the postseason significantly. It's, Uh you can't compare. And and I thought, you know, Chris Jenkins, a defensive tackle from Michigan was saying it last week when he saw the result of the cotton bowl and was like, that's not the team we played. Like they have more respect for Ohio state than, than what they saw go up against Missouri that night for any number of reasons. And, but to think that a season could end with what we saw Ohio state do in the cotton bowl, while also Michigan is winning a national championship and say what you will about all of the circumstances that leading up to Michigan winning this championship and whether the NCAA is going to come crashing down on them down the line, the achievement will still have been there. This, all Mm. of this will have still played out the same way. So that is not a good event for Ohio state. Anything that elevates Michigan into the level of programs. It, it, at one point, like, I like to, it's like, well, the things that have happened since I joined this beat, like when I got here in 2019, we really talked about Michigan as like being, having that ceiling. Like yeah. they're, they're pretty good. We talk about them like we do Penn state, right? Pretty mm-hmm. good. They're going to get in that 10 win conversation all the time, but they're not going to, they're not nationally super relevant. 
Like they're mm-hmm. they're always going to be that they're going to play in a Group of Five bowl a lot of times, or not a Group of Five, a, a New Year's Six bowl, and they'll be they'll be fine. But that's it. That's where they're stuck, and that's not true anymore. Like they're about to join the list of programs that not just can win a national championship, but maybe is going to win the national championship, and that elevates you now. Maybe Harbaugh leaves. Maybe some things. Maybe some things are about to change. We don't know, but it's still. This is not a good circumstance for Ohio State. And Ohio State had a way to control it and, and keep it from happening, and, and didn't do it. So it's not like it's something happening to Ohio State in this in, in that regard. But but still, not not good for Ohio State. And at the same time, the addition of Washington, the addition of these other programs, because you're also expanding to twelve teams. Uh, you know, people are probably going to have to adjust the way that they look at the Big Ten a little bit and what it means to to get to the championship game and, and compete okay. for that. But because you're expanding to 12 teams for the playoff, I still think Ohio State most years, and you know, again, we've we've got, gotten caught making some bad assumptions here these last four or five years as it relates yeah. to some of these things. Uh, but I still think that Ohio State is going to most years find a way to avoid a third regular season loss which will put them in the playoff basically every year. And so then it just becomes a matter of you're, you're playing some of these teams before you're going to play them in the playoff. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it changes the, that that much. Um, and then when you, when you win a championship in the Big Ten, it's going to be rewarded even more. And that is going to be maybe tougher to do, but uh, it, it hasn't been on the the, 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 the... the ramifications of not winning it are about to change too. They're not going to be as dire. This this year it was dire. Like you don't beat Michigan, so because you were eleven and zero and lost to Michigan, then a team like Texas that had already lost to a team worse than Michigan in the regular season gets to play its conference championship game and win its way in. It's been a stupid system. We've been some of us have been saying it for a long time, and now we finally get that gets corrected. Uh, but I think Ohio State does have to examine some of these areas where it uh, should have a significant advantage. And doesn't right now. Like we had sort of, I think, assumed that the Ohio State offensive line or the Ohio State quarterback advantage would continue. And it's very up up in the air right now how good their quarterback is going Mm -hmm. to be. That was kind of the crux of the conversation that led to that piece I wrote that I was talking about was like, you know, Comacord was, depending on who you talk to, the second or third best quarterback still in the Big Ten this year, right? Like he was third team all Big Ten. I would have probably put him above Tagovailoa, but Potato, potato, one of the top three. Mm-hmm. Well, if you include Bo Nix and Michael Penix and all these other guys, now you're talking about is Ohio State's quarterback one of the five or six best quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the Big Ten? And if that starts becoming an annual conversation, you've all of a sudden, now you're the one who has dropped down to that like Penn State tier, that thing that we thought we were relegating Michigan to before. So they've got to find a way to get this back on track. And maybe it's Aaron Olin, but that doesn't mean it's going to be in 2024. I think the... For sure, I just want to say this. Part of me wanted Texas to win last night, and Quinn Ewers was like seven years. He was one completion away from me being able to be like, three different players from Ohio State's 2021 quarterback room will have gotten a chance to beat Michigan, and Quinn Ewers, the one who left, is going to get, he's got the last shot for that room to get a win against Michigan. Because C.J. Stroud was 0-2, Kyle McCord's 0-1, and Jack Miller, he never started here. He went to Florida where he's been the backup ever since. But it would have been the third time. They would have played a quarterback from that room. I thought that was pretty cool. But the ultimate point, I think, is I think it's just adding another wound. It's just stabbing that wound again this offseason of 
all the other stuff that's going on. You've lost to Michigan three times in a row. The Everything that was around this third loss going into it and how you could put your rival back into its place because of the sign-stealing scandal and all that stuff, and it backfired on you. The way the Cotton Bowl went, which I understand the context of you lost your quarterback, you lost some transfers, and it wasn't really, the as, uh, as the Michigan player said, that's not the real team. But still, you lost that game. You didn't look great. When you're talking about a program who's just looking for reasons for fans to get excited, when you throw on top of that, you're dealing with all this, and your rival, who three years ago was you, was dealing with all this. Literally, three years ago, it was 2020, and Michigan's below 500, and we're talking about whether or not Jim Harbaugh should be fired or not. And we're doing joke podcasts, Nathan, about when does Ohio State tie the all-time record in the rivalry game and whatnot? When's the next time Michigan's going to beat Ohio State? And now, just three years later, we're not. Sh- it's a lot up in the air with Ohio State. I think you're right about the quarterback situation. That's supposed to be Ohio State's bread and butter is quarterback and wide receiver play, and we're sure about the wide receiver play, but we're not sure about the quarterback situation. While on Monday, you're going to have to watch your hated rival potentially close out the 14 playoff with a national championship game. And it, it, it probably isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things because the 12-team playoff is going to come and we're going to have to look at things a little differently throughout the season and maybe change how we view success on a given, and, fa- and failure on a year-to-year basis. And we can get more into that on the feelings pod. But it is just, when you're looking for reasons to be happy, college football is not giving Ohio State fans a lot of reasons to be happy right now, Andrew. No, um, there's not a lot to look at. I mean, just it feels like, you know, you saw Ohio State fans over the last couple of weeks, like lose to Michigan, don't make the playoff, starting quarterback enters the portal, feels like you lose uh, some momentum in your class going into recruiting. Parker Fleming still hasn't been fired yet. Like they haven't had a lot to cheer for, right? Like they haven't had a lot going on. And then you're like, all right, you can do your turnover a new leaf in 2024. And then 2024 starts with Michigan winning one of the better college football playoff games that we've had in the 14 playoff era. Like that, that's just, that's we really, don't know that yet. It might suck. No, no, Michigan. No, the one Alabama. they just played. Yeah. Oh, the one they just oh, played. That one, yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's fair because Ohio state like had that over yeah, every, like, like Ohio you know, state we went almost down to had the, that moment. A decade ago. Ohio state you know, almost had, had that a, walk a decade off. ago. Yeah. They went down to the South and like beat the South. And it was like a thing that they did it. And like they were like the champions of the North. And now it's like Michigan's kind of doing that. And they yeah. weren't the underdog when they did it. They they were the favorite to win that game on Monday. Well, and it, it feels like Michigan has taken Ohio State's thunder in more ways than just beating them on the field. Because like the only team that used to beat like an SEC Kind of, I understand Alabama was not Alabama this year in terms of how we know them of just being war machine, insane, whatever. But like the only team that would come from the north to beat Alabama was Ohio State, and Michigan just did it. And like the only team that could hang with Georgia is Ohio State, and that's like that's kind of been defeated now. And and that is that is really kind of an extra knife twist. I will say I do want to get this point in there. Um, Nathan, were you awake for the end of the Texas Washington game? I know Stephen was because he tweeted. Because I do like this. I just I, I was. Yeah. I can't imagine. Okay, because it's disgusting. The, it was what was it one o'clock when this ended? 
They should literally never. Why was the West Coast game early? Rose Bowl, get over yourself. No, no, get no, over no, yourself. No, no, stop. No, 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 no stop. Over the Rose Bowl cannot get over it. The Rose Bowl is allowed to have that level of moral superiority. There is no because it's better zero, than everything. It makes zero sense that you had one game being played in New Orleans and one game being played in California, and you put the game in California earlier than the one that's being played in Eastern Time Zone. So Texas and Washington don't have to start a football game at nine o'clock at night. Nothing says you can't start sense. the Sugar Bowl at two fifteen, two o'clock. Why can't you play the TV Sugar Bowl first? Do. Those games in the afternoon. TV ratings. Yeah, the time of the games is about TV ratings. Yeah, but I'm cool. Yeah, I'm man. cool with playing the Rose Bowl when you do. I'm cool with playing no, the Rose Bowl. That no, time. flip that. That makes zero sense. No, the, and, and by the way, the issue that we have isn't with the time of the games. It's with the freaking amount of commercials that happen during these games that make the game. I understand it went to overtime, but like if this was a like if this was a normal timed game, they did this whole thing to shorten the game where you move the clock forward. We should have been able to have a five o'clock kick at the Rose Bowl and then an eight fifteen kick in in the sugar bowl and that is exactly the same time as when the national championship game will kick off that is exactly the same time as when monday night football kicks off every week when thursday night football kicks off every week it should have been no problem but be i understand the game went to overtime but because we decide to do all these commercials where it's hey they scored a touchdown now we're going to go to commercial hey they kicked off now we're going to go to commercial hey there's an injury on the field now we're going to go to another two and a half minute commercial ridiculous um but i it could have been worse, Ohio State fans, because there is an alternate reality out there where Washington loses that game, and that might be the most painful college football loss of all time. So just think about it. It could have been worse. Like, there's a theory out there in some other life where it could have been way worse. Because as Texas was marching down the field, I'm thinking, I can't think of another more painful loss in, like, let alone college football sports. Six. Than what ha- than what what could have happened to Washington? Kick six. No, the, no. Um, the kick six Barrett, would. But... I don't. Is the kick six worse than Washington, Texas? You blew your chance at the national championship game because the kid gets hurt. That would have stunk. So I'm do glad you, that Washington um, hung you, on because I, I would have felt Tula bad. Tua came for him. in off the bench and threw a do a 40 yard bomb to win a national championship as a true freshman because they benched their quarterback. <sighs> Also, do you really think it's better to have not made the game at all than to have suffered yeah. a tough loss in the game? I think Ohio State fans would rather – I wish That's they fair. would probably be That's saying, I wish we had the chance to lose yeah. It's better to have loved and lost. Game. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> have suffered the <laughs> terrible loss because at least then you're in the game. Yeah, that's a fair point. Because then you're not relegated to point. this this lesser thing that the Cotton Bowl turned out to be. You know what? You're right. You're right. When you're right, you're right. That's fair. They literally lost a game in heartbreaking fashion. Yeah, twelve months ago, and like everybody was happy. It's like that's a yeah. Is it, that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Is it you got? Is me. it you're both worse right. to have? Is it worse to have never dated a supermodel than to have gotten dumped by one? <laughs> I would true. argue no. That's true. That's fair. Well, speaking from personal experience. All right. Well, yeah, we should end this left. now. <laughs> okay. Well, get the text if you want to know the answers to all these questions. Six one four three five zero. Three three one five. That will wrap it up for the Tuesday pod. Once again, happy New Year! First pod of the new year. Hopefully, it wasn't too depressing or too weird. But 
I mean, there's more depressing, more weird, and more happiness to be to happen in 2024. Ohio State season is over, 11 and two. Once again, Michigan and Washington will play for the national championship next Monday, and then next summer, both of those teams will be in the Big Ten along with Oregon, UCLA, and USC, plus the teams who are already in it. Like I said, get the text six one four three five zero three three one five two week free trial three ninety nine after that for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis. I am Stephen Means, and that. Let's talk. I talk.